Hey guys, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for following Jesus. If we haven't met yet, my name is Tony and I am your host. With over a decade in the local church, I care deeply and passionately about helping you connect with Jesus in practical ways. Today's conversation, Clarence Schuler. Clarence, incredible guy, like just an incredible author. You're going to want to hear his story. I absolutely love getting to know him. He's got a brand new resource out called Finding Hope in a Dark Place. I think if you've ever wondered about mental illness, if you've ever wondered about leaning in to what God has in store for you, this is going to be such a great conversation. He's written so much. We talk about triggers. We talk about insecurity. We talk about grace and how do we lean in with all of that. Um, I just think you're really going to love Clarence's heart. And if you do, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a rating or review on iTunes or Spotify, and the highest compliment you can give us, share this episode with a friend. So now, without any further ado, let's jump into this conversation with Clarence Schuler. Clarence, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Well, Tony, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm really excited to jump in and talk a little bit about this latest resource, Finding Hope in a Dark Place. Um, one of the questions that I love to ask people, though, before we get into the resource itself, is a little bit about your calling. How would you mm. describe the calling that God has placed on your life? Well, I think the calling God's put on my life is that most people want to be loved and that most people respond to God's love. And so my job is trying to love them with God's love and then see what happens. So I don't really have an agenda. That's what I'm trying to do. Before, I was trying to do this and that, but that seems to work really well. And people seem to appreciate me just loving them and with no pressure and see what happens. So that's kind of fun. That's what I try and do. That's really my calling. You know, I think that's interesting. I think that there's a lot of people listening who are like, man, Clarence, I, I want to love people with God's love too. If if you were going to get super practical, like what's that look like on a random Tuesday in, in April? Well, Tony, it's just simply uh, you see somebody like in my club where I work, where I work out, play tennis and stuff. A lot of times people come in and they want to initiate conversation. So uh, I used to get an attitude and say, well, hey, if they're not going to speak, I'm not going to speak. Mm -hmm. And God says, you're representing me. So when they come in now, I just say, hey, how you doing? And just saying a little hello has opened up doors to where one guy I did that with who had tattoos, swat stickers on, you know, stuff like that. Just doing that conversation, when he was thinking about committing suicide, he called me. Wow. And so, you know, I think just saying hello, being friendly can just open a lot of doors. And the grace of God, he didn't commit suicide, which was great. He did not. But I think we just got to be friendly because most people will respond to someone else being friendly. But as mm -hmm. Christians, Christ followers, I think we need to initiate that. So that's, that's kind of what it looks like. You know, it's nothing really profound. It's just... Uh, being willing to say, okay, I'll say hello first, even though maybe you're an employee here and you should speak to me first, but our being a Christian should trump that and we should just say, hey, because it's all about serving. Yeah, I, I think that that's right, all about serving. I, I've noticed that you, so you, you've written, this is your 10th book, I think, which is incredible to think yeah. about. That's wild. Um, how do you know when God is speaking to you about where to go next? Because you've written on a lot of different topics from racial reconciliation to what it means to be a, a godly man and everything in between. And then this, this last one's all about mental health. 
How do you discern God's voice in all of that? Well, what God typically does with me because I'm a preacher, um, when I am coming out of something that he's teaching me, he says, you need to share this. Mm. And so I think what my ministry is too, it's just being transparent. So when I was coming out of this, my deepest, darkest depression, I was at this fatherhood commission and the guy said, I want you to do devotions. And God said, you know, well, you got to tell him about your depression. And I said, man, I said, God, that is not really cool. But, you know, he didn't repeat himself. So I knew how to do that. And I was stunned by response. I mean, unbelievable. People taking pictures of the slides, people going crazy. And uh, and with a book, it's kind of been the same thing. And people just and I've been amazed how many black women said, I'm so glad you as a man, a black man are sharing about your depression because so many men are so depression. They want to talk about it. You know, and so um, so that's kind of what God has me do. I just go through stuff and I share my stuff and it's very humbling. But if it helps somebody else, and that's kind of worth the price of admission, I guess. Yeah, I'm curious about that. What's it like for you to live um, so vulnerably? Because a lot of your ministry is authenticity, is authenticity, right? And you just put it all out there for the world to kind of deal with how it may. Um, what's that like for you? Well, well, like in his depression book, uh, you know, if you've read it, you probably know why I'm so crazy. But it's just, um, you know, people can relate to that. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I I spoke at a men's conference a couple of weeks ago in Buffalo, and there's 650 men, and I shared about my battle with depression. The second keynote, I talked about fear and overcoming our fear with our faith. And so many men said, you know what? Uh, I really appreciate you saying that. Or they would say, You're, that talk you gave this morning is just for me. And so, because we're not really addressing that a lot of times, and, and because we're men, we just, we stuff it. We're socialized not to share our emotions. And when guys do that, when they share, it's just like kind of a freedom. So initially, it's kind of embarrassing or humbling, but in the end, if, someone, if it helps one guy, then I say, cool. And it keeps me it keeps me humble. It keeps me from thinking I'm all that because my flaws are kind of all out there, you know? So, uh, I shared one of my books, my marriage book about my pornography addiction and how God delivered me. And, and you didn't think too much about it. The book came out, but then a guy called me and said, Hey, I got a pornography issue too. I go, oops, it's out there. I can't get it back. And, but you know, he turns my misery into a ministry. And so I just kind of roll with it. I, I am curious to get your thoughts. Um, the, the church doesn't do a great job of talking about mental health. And even though I've got my own counselor and I've, I've seen him for 10 years every month, whether okay. I need to or not, and uh, he's helped me through some of the roughest times of my life, yet I don't know that I'm great about preaching about it regularly. Um, what are your thoughts on how the church or what the church can do to help, uh, you know, kind of increase awareness around mental health issues? Well, I think the way most of our churches in America are, are guided by the pastor mm -hmm. or, or the senior guy or the teaching pastor, and we've got to help him, and in some cases her, whoever the leader is, uh, become a little vulnerable. They don't have to tell their whole life story, but something they become comfortable with. I would talk to a leadership and say, hey, I really want to talk about this. If it's personal, you guys okay with this? Or bring somebody in uh, to talk about this whole thing about uh, mental health and uh, particularly depression and loneliness. You know, the young, the newest, youngest generation is probably the most lonely generation yeah. and no one's talking to them. And so, and, and in, at least in 
well, I won't call it the name of denomination, but I did in the book. But the research shows that one denomination, 67% of their youth are leaving church once they go to college. Mm. You know, it used to be 88%, so I guess they're doing some things better, but they're leaving co- they're leaving church when they go to college because they see the leadership from their perspective is not really relevant. They're, they're not approachable, or they don't deal with them. Issues of social justice, which is really big for them. So I think art and the health issue is huge. And so I think some pastor's going to have to be like um, visionary enough to say, you know, maybe I'm not having a problem with depression or loneliness, but there may be people in my congregation. And so I'm going to try and tackle this. You know, David struggled with it. Uh, Jeremiah struggled with it. I'm not sure if Habakkuk struggled with it because he's so eloquent, but it was an issue for him and some, some issues. So I think there are a lot of guys in the, in the book, you know, Joseph struggled with a little bit of depression when he was in prison for so long, you know, and unjustly. So I think there are biblical examples that we could talk about it and help our congregation. So, and again, if a pastor doesn't feel comfortable preaching about it, bring in someone he trusts uh, to talk about it and then have a like a town hall meeting afterwards, you know, later in the week or something where they could actually come and discuss, you know, create a safe place where people could talk about, hey, I have these issues. And and define the difference between disappointment, depression, or loneliness, why do I feel lonely, or the whole issue of anxiety. So I think that would just be a tremendous service if pastors would do that. I, I'm kind of curious in your own life, how do you know when something is healed enough for you to talk about, right? Because I, I sometimes, oh, sometimes I think that we can preach through wounds and not through scars, and you've probably heard that before. How, how do you know when you're like, okay, I, I can talk about this part of my life now, and how do you discern that? That's a really great question. I think with the depression piece, I felt like I was coming out of it. Yeah. I, um, you know, my uh, counselor was helping me and she was, you know, I, I was feeling okay. Uh, I wasn't necessarily great, but I was not, um, I was not in a dark place anymore. And so I felt I could kind of share at least what I was doing. And then she helped me realize, she said, well, you're not done with your depression, but what's happening, you're, you're able to manage it more effectively. And so I just shared a few things that I was learning not that I had learned or mastered, but I, and I shared with the group when, when I shared it the first time, I said, these are things, some things that are working for me. They may not work for you, but these are some things that are working for me. And uh, I guess with the depression, I don't know about you, have you read the Bible, but when you're going through something, you, this verse jumps out oh, yeah. like you've never yeah. seen it before. And, uh, you know, Isaiah 45, 3 jumped out at me and it says, uh, in the darkness, there are hidden treasures, secret riches. And it says, I will do this so that you know that I'm the Lord your God, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. And so for me, I never thought God dealt with emotions. But when he said in the darkness, there are secret riches or hidden treasures, that one has said that darkness is not necessarily bad. Mm. The other thing it said to me that I didn't have to rush out of the darkness. I didn't have to fake being fine because it's in that darkness that I'm going to find hidden treasures and secret riches from God. And then it also said that God was with me in my darkness, so my dark place could actually be a holy place. Hmm. And so those things really were very profound for me. And that began to help me give me some hope as I heard that, as I was kind of working through things. So that was just encouraging enough to me. And so as I was, I could share those positive things 
without having all the answers to all to every question about depression. And I can say for me, this was helpful. And so when I was able to provide biblical principles, I think they helped a lot of people. So that's that's how I do it. But, but I think, you know, he gives me a piece. Of, okay, you can talk about this. Or so really, he'll say you need to talk about this. And so I, that just kind of gives me that piece that I can share. Not so much being an expert, but I can just kind of share some things that maybe be helpful. Yeah, I, I mean that's the essence of disciple making, right? Is to share where we are, just one step ahead of where somebody else might be. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what discipleship is. Yeah. Do you um? Did you know when your darkness went from a scary place to a holy place? Because I, I imagine that there's some people listening who feel like, you know, Doctor Clarence, my my darkness doesn't feel holy at all. <laughs> Help, talk talk to that guy or that gal who's listening. That's like, man, it's more oh, scary man. than holy. Well, you know, it was scary. Um, I most of my life I've been insecure. Yeah. And so I've overcompensated athletically or whatever. And so I, my wife, her, her husband, her dad is a self-made millionaire, very successful guy. Well, I wasn't poor. I was poor. And so, <laughs> uh, so I'm always trying to make more money going up the corporate ladder. And I had this really big job that was life-changing money to do some diversity training for a quasi-Christian organization Everything was going really well. I won't go into all the details. But, you know, they paid me for my proposal, which they normally don't do. The president said he loved what I was doing because he said, your diversity training brings people together. So I'm thinking I'm in the house, right? Uh, Stephen Kendrick prayed for me before I went into the meeting. So I'm thinking, this is a done deal. Well, 10 days later, Tony, they called me and they say, uh, we decided to go in a different direction. Mm. And it was so much money involved. I was going to use the money to validate myself. Yeah. I just went to this dark hole and I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to hear about God. I didn't want to hear any Christian cliches. When God closed one door, he opens another. Just leave me alone. And that's kind of where I was. And I, I just briefly wrote my newsletter that this job didn't go through. I didn't say a whole lot about it. Monique, my counselor, read through the, between the lines and called me. And said, you want to talk about it? And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, and then God convicted me. And he and I said, you know, I counsel the people, God. I don't need somebody else. Why don't you just counsel me? And he was just totally silent. And when he's silent to me, that's no for, mm. for me in our mm. relationship. So I called her back very humbly and said, look, I'm pretty raw. Um, I'm not going to use profanity, but I'm not in a good place. Mm. And she just began to walk with me. And just say a little thing. She kind of walked on eggshells. And so I was in a really dark place. I was not in a hurry. Um, and I just I just struggled. But as she would send me stuff or ask me stuff, she would gently push me. And then that, that, that helped me some. And then with my um, my email system, well, I won't go into it, it doesn't allow me to put them on vacation. So um, people kept emailing me for stuff. So I'm still helping people in the midst of being frustrated with God and all this other stuff. So, and then my wife wouldn't let me stay home. She made me go to church. <laughs> and my, and so my pastor would say something every week, kind of a little sub point that would kind of give me hope, not for the rest of the week, but just for the next day. Mm. And so mm. it was a very slow process of just kind of walking through stuff, being mad at God, being frustrated, feeling unworthy, feeling uh, failure, and just really just, um, I was kind of rock bottom. But again, 
when I began to see certain scriptures, uh, they began to uh, kind of give me hope. And I, I just hadn't seen God, that side of God dealing with emotions. Mm. And then I, I looked at Jeremiah 27 through 18, where he and Jer- where Jeremiah's going off on God. I mean, Jeremiah basically calls God a liar. Yeah. And, you know, had I been God, I would have zapped and he'd been gone, you know. But, <laughs> Preach. But, but then through that, but through that encounter, I said, wow, God's grace mm. is greater than what mm. I realized. And so, and then I learned that God's not so concerned about my initial response, but just the end result. And that, you know, all those things just began to help me. But I had this woman, this counselor, Monique, in my head, who was just, periodically saying, you know, God's with you, not preaching at me, but she was saying this and this and this. And, and this made me think. She would send me stuff by Chuck Swindoll. You want to read this? And I said, no, I don't want to read it, but I would read it. And it was, I didn't, I didn't like what it said, but I knew I needed it. And so it was just, so it's fighting my own resistance to stuff. But eventually I did want to be right with God. But what was fun for me or helpful for me was that he was there with me walk with me mm-hmm. through it. And so I, I just wasn't faking being fine. I wasn't trying to rush out of it. And then eventually I began to see some of the hidden treasures, some of the secret riches. And I said, wow, you know, and so then my depression became an actual gift. Wow. Because I began to learn more about me and what my triggers, what's really important. And, and also I think God killed some stuff in me that may have been good in the past, but it was hindering me from walking close with him in the future. And some of the stuff he killed was to get so I could he could give birth to new life in me to do something else. So uh and so I, I'm 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 not quite as important as I thought I used to be. Uh I'm a little bit nicer than I used to be, and I'm a little bit more sensitive to people who I see may be struggling. Yeah. And so those are really great gifts. And Stuff that I thought was really important is is not so important anymore. What a beautiful perspective. Um, what, one of the relationships that you've already mentioned and you talk about in the book quite a bit is with Monique, Dr. Mo is yeah. affectionately <laughs> called uh, in the book, which I love. Yeah. I love. And, and, you know, I have a counselor, too. And, his, you know, around my house, we call him Steve, Dr. Steve. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, I'm curious if you could kind of give, um, you have the the gift of hindsight now, how how Mm. important is it for men to have someone in their life where they can go and talk to like a Mo or Steve or, you know, uh, that, that person? Well, I I think it's invaluable. I, um, had the privilege to lead my dad to Christ when I was 18 and we had a great relationship for about a year and a half. And then he was killed. Mm. And I did not have a, a man in my life. And then uh, Gary Chapman introduced me to Christ when I was 16. And so I started gravitating to older men. So I have four or five older men who have mentored me from different cultures, which has really been important. Uh, so I, And then Dr. Moe has been great. I, I think it's important that we have it because even though I counseled other people, and I think I was okay with that because God— gave me the ability to help people. There are things about me I still couldn't see. Yeah. And so I still needed someone else to look and see stuff I couldn't see. And so she was able to do that. And that's just really helpful. And so I ha- I found that older men or or an older wise Christian can really help 
someone like me who's younger, who's lived life, to process. Mm. And I, I think it's invaluable. And when you look in the scriptures, there's typically an older person around, like Jephro, uh, who helped Moses. Yeah. You know, and so and so you need that. That's and so it's really important. So I, I just I, I would say it's priceless. And for me, if I see an older guy who's got something on the ball, I just ask him, I say, Hey, can I spend some time with you? I say, Can I take you to lunch? Can I pick your brain? And they love it because a lot of times older men feel like no one's really needs yeah, them. Or sometimes care, they feel, right? yeah. yeah, but they've got so much wisdom. And then our enthusiasm and our youth really inspires them. So it's, it's win-win for both. Yeah, one of the things that uh, we say around this podcast a lot is that everybody needs a Paul and everybody needs a Timothy. You know, And finding that balance of both is how we build a, a really robust <laughs> kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah. In fact, today is typically a day I meet one of my spiritual sons. And at first, he called me, said, Can I meet with you for a half an hour every week. I said, Okay. And then it expanded to an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. But what's funny, you know, initially he needed me, but I found out I needed him yeah. too. And it became a win win for both of us. Hey guys, just pausing this conversation with Clarence to remind you that now is the time to subscribe to the Spirit and True Substack. The Spirit and True Substack is a blog that goes out every single week, and it's all about helping you lean into what it means to be a spirit-led leader. We have resources from all the Spirit and Truth team. We all pour ourselves into it. So whether you lead a small group, a church, or just your team at work, if you want to lean in to being spirit-led as a leader, this is a perfect resource for you. It goes straight to your inbox twice a week. To subscribe, go to spiritandtruth.substack.com. One of the places that you start in the book is this idea about triggers. And uh, I'm fascinated with triggers. I, I've i really spent some time looking at some of my own. I'm wondering if you could kind of give the podcast family a working definition of what triggers are and maybe talk through how do we spot out what our triggers um, might be in our life that we may not even be aware of. Well, I think for me, uh, and I said this earlier, mine was uh, insecurity. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I still battle that. So when you're insecure, there's a natural tendency. Your trigger could be approval of other people, to be approved by someone else. And and that gives you whatever validation. And so that's – so I think seeking validation from other people in God, can, it can be a trigger. And unfortunately – that's not a really good thing because only God can validate us. Yeah. And so, and when we're trying to get that, that validation, it can be really a selfish thing is all about me. And so then my perspective is all can be all messed, messed up. Um, you know, with anxiety or, or, um, or depression, uh, depression goes from disappointment to a long period of time of disappointment, which is what we didn't call depression. Mm. And so we have to ask our questions, you know, what causes us? Why is I disappointed about that? Or it's okay to be disappointed, but why did I stay? Why did that disappointment linger for so long? So, so those things can, can really hurt us in that process. And I, and I think for me, um, as I went through this depression, uh, in Genesis 1, verses uh, 26 through 28, you know, God the Father um, is with the Trinity, and he says, let's make some humans. Mm. And in my sanctified imagination, 
when he says that, I imagine the Holy Spirit leans over to Jesus and say, you know what? If the Father makes some humans, you're going to have to go to earth, one of those funny looking bodies, uh, and live a perfect life. They're going to tempt you. They're going to even kill you. Then I'm going to have to come down to earth and raise you from the dead. And evidently, Jesus says, Father, go ahead and make some humans. And what's significant about that, with God being omniscient, he knows we're going to sin. He knew Adam and Eve were going to sin, mm. but he made him anyway. So the first thing I tell people is that, one, God wanted us, knowing we're going to be imperfect. Yeah. The other thing, he, he says three times in those verses, he made us in his image. Well, I call it his DNA. Mm. Well, because we have God's DNA, we have value, we have purpose, and we have a destiny. And so... All that is, and then verse 28, some Hebrew scholars said verse 28, that verse says blessing, that God goes wow. And so like when a baby's born, the parents go wow, the grandparents go wow. Mm. And the reason they go wow, because they see a reflection of themselves in the baby. Well, because we have God's DNA, when he looks at us, he goes wow because he sees reflection of himself in us. And so I say all that to say that we as Christians or Christ followers, um, well, even if you're not a Christ follower, that we should have self-worth, not self-worship. Mm. And a lot of times we tend to have poor self-images. And so as I have a good self-image because God has given me this, I have self-worth and have value, that really paints a whole different picture how I approach things and how I look at things. And it just kind of, I don't need you or somebody else to validate me to make me feel that should come from the Lord. So, so I try and encourage people now and almost every time I talk, I throw that in there somewhere because I'm always speaking to somebody who's got a poor self-image or someone who's thinking life's not worth living. And if I can say, if the God of all creation feels this way about you, no matter what other people say, that should make you feel special. And so um, I think it's important. So when we have our triggers uh, of fear of taking a test you know, or, or interview for a job, or if I don't get it, it means this. Well, no, it doesn't mean that. And then it's that whole idea of trusting God, that his, his sovereignty, he knows what's best. You know, if I got in this job and made this serious life-changing money, it would have been the worst thing that ever could have happened to me. Sure. Because I would have thought that I did this, and it would have been about me, and I think that just would have set me up for failure long-term. Uh, one of the things that we say around here a lot is that if you're not dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by mm -hmm. your distractions. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I always love to ask people, what are some of your daily disciplines? I mean, obviously, you've made some serious mental shifts. You've got practices. You've got rhythms. What can we steal from your life that might be applicable to one of ours? <laughs> well, the first thing I do, I, I spend time with God pretty much every day. Yeah. Uh, I'm reading a different version of the Bible. Uh, I'm reading like, if I've read one verse for a while, I'll read a different version. I'm reading the Bible from different cultures now. Uh, so I, so I, because I think different cultures help us see a glimpse of God we wouldn't see without him. Hmm. Out there, it's kind of like being married. Yeah, my wife helps us see a glimpse of God we wouldn't see without her. So that's really important. And now I go to Scripture. I go in my time in the morning. And I try to do it first thing in the morning. Um, before I get caught up in a day, and it's just to hear from God. Uh, it doesn't have to be a mountaintop experience. Uh, right now, I'm going through the part where he's talking about building a tabernacle. I, I don't necessarily get goosebumps by tabernacle. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but typically, I just go like a little kid, and, and when he says something, I think, that's really cool. 
I have a little notebook. I kind of jot it down and, and then I pray and it's just really cool. And I just kind of give them that time and, and that, that helps me. Uh, I think being married, just a discipline that I'm, I'm always working on is trying to love my wife in a way that honors God. Yeah. And because my wife is a gift from God, so how I treat my wife is a reflection of how I'm loving God. So, uh, so that's, that's important. Then my girls and then how I treat other people. So, and then something you touched on earlier, I have older men and a couple of women who, who mentor me, who uh, hold me accountable, who uh, one guy went to be the Lord not too long ago, but mm-hmm. he would, he held me accountable in regards to how I treated Brenda. And I learned from him. I'm still learning, you know, how to be a good dad and how to deal with adult kids and stuff like that. So, I just put things in my life that, that, that hold me and keep me accountable because I am so prone to mess up. So uh, I just try to get as much help as I can from different people. And, and I think um, for me, my depression has helped me be a little more honest with myself. Yeah. You know, why I'm doing this. And um, I, not too long ago, someone asked me to be involved, speak at this big event that I wanted to speak at 20 years ago. And I, didn't make the short list. And now it's funny, the deadline's over, but the head guy said, I still just send your proposal in. And I, and he introduced me all these people and, I, and all these men, famous guys. And all of a sudden I caught myself, oh, validation by these men. And guys said, hey, check it. You know, is that going to make it a great event because you're meeting all these guys? Or, and he guided somebody said, you know, I just want you to know I can do this if I want to do this. Yeah. And that was really helpful for me. And so I just kind of, I pulled back and said, to help me speak, grave not. But guys are saying, hey, I'm the one who generates that. And so I think having gone through the depression, I was able to kind of catch myself. And then I called my counsel and we talked about it and had a good talk. And, it, and so that was just really a good thing that pre-depression, mm-hmm. and I don't want anybody to go through depression, but I, I probably would not have made that check. I was just, you know, this is God because the bigger people, more people, more, you know. So that was that was helpful. Um, and I just think, um, I don't know, I, I just think that accountability is, for me is invaluable. Yeah. I uh, Lately, the Lord has just been talking to me about the 23rd Psalm and how you can't get to the anointing at the table until the Lord makes you lie down. And sometimes I think that, you know, he makes me lie down in green pastures, leadeth me beside still waters, you know, restoreth my soul. Like you can't get to the blessing that you're talking about unless you are willing to submit to where the yeah. Lord has you in a season. It sounds like that was kind of the process for you. Yeah, I was not satisfied with me, which man, I wouldn't satisfied with God, if yeah. I'm honest. And I had to see him in a different light. I had to learn to submit and you know that that psalm you talk about in you know, a New Living Translation is so convicting because it says, "I have all that I need." Oh wow! And that's like, oh my gosh! <laughs> 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 and that just that messes with me. Uh, I, mean, I, I mean, when it says, you, "I have all that I need," I mean, it's like, uh, <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> so it's uh, that that was uh, that was very humbling. I said, okay. And so it's just, it's for me, Tony, it's just places where I have to grow. Yeah. But now I recognize the growth and I, I still resist at times, but I, I would say I'm less resistant, you know, Amen. to things I need to grow. And so that's a more accurate perspective, but you know what? I'm loving life. 
and the things I thought I always wanted, he's throwing in front of me so fast. Mm. The ministry's exploding. Uh, I'm trying now to handle the transition. And God keeps saying, are you sure this is what you want? Mm. And and so now I'm like, yeah, I think that's what I want. But I have to keep those disciplines of him first, my wife second, the kids third, and then the ministry. And then, you know, this is about you, it's not about me. And so I've also had to realize that I'm the messenger, I'm not the message. Yeah. And so I, it's not for me trying to share in his glory. It's not by me being a great speaker. I'm just a mouthpiece. And so now that I know that, I feel he trusts me. And so all the stuff that I thought I wanted in 2017 when I had my super bout with depression, uh, now it's like, he said, I can give it to you now because it doesn't mean anything to you. Mm. And I said, wow. He said, before it meant everything to you. And it would have destroyed you. And so I see his love. And, and that's like a great parent. You know, it's like, do you have children? Three. Three, yeah. Can you imagine when one of them was really little and, and you holding their hand? Well, you're standing right at the street corner, right before, you know, and cars are coming. And they put their hand in your hand. Mm. But all of a sudden, they see something that distracts them. And they want, they, they're pulling your hand to get loose. They want to get something. But you see a car coming, and you won't let go of their hand. Mm. Initially, they don't appreciate it. But whether they realize it or not, you probably save their life. Yeah. And so I feel that's kind of what, what God did through allowing me to go through depression because that's the way he get my attention. He probably saved my life in a lot of different ways. Now, you, uh, you kind of end the book in a posture of grace, which I, I love. I, I love the idea of grace. I love uh, what grace means. And I, I thought... I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to talk a little bit about what does what does grace mean to you, um, and and you know I feel like we've kind of danced around it a little bit without the last answer a little bit, but uh, it's almost like you knew where I was heading before I was going there. But can, can you kind of give everybody a little bit of a, a a working definition of grace and how you apply it to your life now? Wow, uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure I'm smart to give a working definition. I was I, I look at grace as something God gives me that I don't really deserve. Yeah. Uh and for me, and so it's just fun. It's just it's like it's like ice cream, you know. Uh it's something extra, it's an extra scoop. And so now I, I look at life in a different way that I'm I'm more grateful, more thankful for things. Um I, I think for me there are less things that I feel like I need to make me happy. Mm. Uh, and that's just really having been a manipulator and trying to always get stuff. And so, so I think the grace, the grace was him giving me Dr. Mo in my life. Yeah. Uh, someone who has such a great skill set, who can look into my life and speak into my life and help me get closer to God. I think that was really good. Um, I, I think I look at my wife who just, um, it's nothing but grace a gift from God. Who, Amen. Who, uh, <laughs> you know, when I think about this woman, how she weighs so many hands and foot, and she's very intelligent, and not because she has to, because she wants mm. to. And so now it's like I'm asking my, the Lord, you know, how can I be a better husband? Yeah. How can I serve her better? And so all those little things, uh, my kids are walking with the Lord, struggling some, they're still single. But it's just uh, the fact they still want to talk to you, spend yeah. time with you. So, so I look at that as just really grace, and and it's fun when I go out um, 
I have so many friends who are not believers. And what makes it fun, I, I just said hi initially and where I'm sitting on an airplane or, or at the club and we become friends. And so, and then my life becomes enriched because what they share with me Yeah. or one guy we met on the plane, he's getting his master's. He's, you know, white guy, he's going through this thing about diversity. I said, Hey, what's that say about diversity? He said, man, I really, I really struggle with this. Can we talk? And, and so I show one of my books on diversity and we just strike this conversation, end up going to lunch all of a sudden, he shares his whole life with me. Mm. See, I'm living with this girl. Um, I'm 50 years old, never been married. We've been together five years, but it's not working out. He says, you seem kind of religious. I'm Catholic. He said, I'm not really a great Catholic. He says, can we talk about that? I said, sure. Uh, but it just comes from saying hello on a plane that we go from there to having lunch and him pouring his life out to me. So, uh, and I think that's great. And it's fun. It's cool. And I've learned stuff from him and, you know, it's just, you know, it's just kind of cool. Oh man, so much goodness here. Uh, as this book is getting out into the world, um, I, I saw an Instagram post from you about um, when the book was released. It was right around the time of of Twitch's um, suicide, <clears throat> of course. Those of you probably remember Twitch and from the Ellen Show, and you know, just all all that stuff and. That such a um, an, a life giving soul that was lost too much. My podcast family loves to pray, and um, well, your Instagram post was kind of a prayer request. I'm wondering if you might share a little bit about um, your prayer for this book, so that we can come alongside you as it continues to go out into the world. Well, my prayer for this book is that it would give people who are struggling with loneliness, depression, or anxiety. Um, a little more hope hmm. that they probably have more hope and more choice in their life than they realize. Yeah, and it's just it's not written for any condemnation, but to, that they have more choice, and just to direct them to a deeper walk with God without preaching to them yeah. that um, their life be better than they think it is, and that is it's it's worth living. And for even those who are considering death by suicide, it's for them to hey just take a moment. I don't know how they feel. I, almost, I thought about committing suicide myself. Not that I know how they feel. Hmm. But if they would just think about those they may leave behind and the pain they would go through, uh, if they'll wait long enough, use their life would change for the better. It's not a guarantee. And so, you know, don't rush. But just think about people, more people around you love you than you realize, more than you realize. Even if they can't communicate to you the way you want to be communicated to, they'll love you so deep and passionate. So I, so I So don't, do it, please. You know, if you're thinking about it, you can call 988, uh, you know, but um, just if, you know, one of my former clients, he had thought about suicide. He's in a bad marriage for 20 some years. Um, things changed. And he said, a really neat thing. He's so glad he didn't because life changed. Yeah. And now his grown adult son is now married mm. and he's having so much fun helping his adult son learn how to be a good husband. So I so I, those are thoughts in the books that I just want to create hope a little more hope than people have, without any condemnation. Okay, I have one more question for you, but before okay. I ask it, I know that my listeners are going to want to find you all over the interwebs. Where is the best place to learn all the things that God is doing in and through your ministry? 
Well, they can go to my website. It's just ClarenceShuler.com. We're poor, so there's no C in my last name. So it's ClarenceShuler.com. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if they go there, there are free videos from relationships, married or single. They can email me through the website. And so uh, all my propaganda, I mean, all my information's there. So uh, that'd be great. That's the best place to reach me. Okay, Clarence, last question I love to ask people. It's an advice question. I'm going to ask you to go back and give yourself one piece of advice. And um, the only difference is I get to pick the season of life that you're in. So I, I want to take okay. you back to um, the day that you turned in your very first book. You're just really getting oh. started in ministry. Like Things are changing, and you're putting yourself out there in new and profound ways. If you could go back... And sit knee to knee with that gentleman, that younger version of yourself, hold wow. his hands, look him in the eyes. What's the one message that you're going to give him? Oh, wow. That's a good question, man. You, you take me back. I think I think I would say, um, one, congratulations uh, for writing a book. That's that's. That's really important. It's a good sense of accomplishment. Enjoy that. Um, especially for me, because I flunked out of school. So to come back and write a book is you know, kind of neat. I think the other thing would be was that um, trust God in the process. Mm. You know, don't be in a hurry. Um, I think when most people write a book, you want to be successful. You want to sell 100,000 copies. And, uh, and I, my goal was I really want to be an author and make a living by writing. And that was not the initial thing for me. Uh, but God took the book and used it around the globe, and it was really exciting. But So I would say to that young guy, you know, just let God work the process, and you trust God in the process. And you continue to be faithful in that, whether it becomes a bestseller or not. So I, I think that's what I would, I think I would say. But uh, so anyway. Amen. And then Clarence, thank you so much for the generosity that you shared with your time today, your heart for all the ministry that you're putting out in the world. I really value this time. And I want you to know that when book number 11 comes out, get in touch with me. I would love to have you back on the podcast. Hey, Tony, thanks so much. You asked great questions and I really appreciate your spirit. So God bless you. I told you guys we're going to love Clarence. Such a great conversation. I'm so humbled and honored to be able to spend the time with him. I love, love, love the way that he talks about mental health. And I think it's something that needs to happen more and more in the church. I have a counselor who I adore and I've been with him for so long. He's such a gift to me. So if you're out there looking for help, uh, don't wait. Now's the time. Get the help you need. You're worth it. You deserve it. Guys, I'm so thankful for you, for the community that we're building here. And remember, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.